that Christianity some assembly required, because often you sort of think that following Jesus is going to be this easy thing, and all your problems will be solved, and, and often, like, the exact opposite happens. Like, all of a sudden, you become a threat to the devil, and he starts to attack you, and, like, oh, it, it can get tricky. So, there's, there's plenty for us to learn on our walk. There's, there's plenty for us to hear from God and, and plenty of, of assembly to do. So, so hence the title. I'd like to begin by sharing something from an awesome book I've been reading recently. Uh, it comes from a chapter called Ephesians 1, and it's verse 3. It says there, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Don't know about you, but I want to ask, have you ever read a verse like that and thought, really? Are you sure? Every spiritual blessing? Like, do I, do I get that? Because, um, like, for me, I, I find, like, I've been praying for, for my son, who has, has uh, asthma, and for many months now I've prayed for him, and, and nothing's happened there. Uh, there have been work colleagues that I've prayed for to come to the Lord, and and nothing's happening there. So you read a verse like that and you think, really? Like every spiritual blessing? But I believe that we do actually have every, every spiritual blessing available to us. Um, so then, what's the story? Is there a catch? And I don't think that there's a catch at all. I, I just think it's a case of some good old sensible parenting from the Lord. So I want to just look at the, the two key words there that I think are, are like central to this verse, and it says, has blessed. These are the kinds of words when you're just reading through your Bible, you often skim over them and, and kind of don't pay attention to them. But they're really important because they imply that we already have those blessings. It's, it's not just some kind of lie that you read in the Bible. We, we've read that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And it's important for us to, to get that. And if, if we get that, we understand that we already have access to all of those blessings that the Lord wants to give us. With that in mind, let's try and think of some, some real-world scenarios that we could um, maybe think of to, to see why we don't just get everything we ask for straight away. So I'm a father of two. Uh, they might be running around causing chaos in here at some stage. Uh, the old, my oldest is Rory, and my youngest is Jared. Um, so I'm, I'm a father, and I intend, as far as I possibly can, to, to bless them with as much as I can. So... I have every intent to buy each of them a car. Uh, I don't know if I'll get there, but it's my intention to do so. But let's, let's assume that I am going to buy both of them a car. If Rory had to come to me right now, if he had to walk out that room, come here and say, Dad, can I have a car? My answer is without question going to be no. And it's not because I don't want to give him a car. It's just that for where he is right now, it's not a great idea. Physically, he's not big enough. He's not strong enough to operate a vehicle. He doesn't know the rules of the road. And, and in terms of his... Um, mental development and his um, maturity, he's, he's definitely got a ways to go. So for him to have that thing now, just really not a good idea. Learning to ride a bike is another example that we can kind of think of to, to apply this principle. When we, ride, like, when we learn to ride bikes, there are various stages that we go through. And you can check there. Those, those are the stages. I don't know if you remember having fun on those guys. My mom tells me that I used to take that little blue guy and ride head on into the garage door. I don't believe her, but anyway... As a sensible parent, you would never put your toddler on a mountain bike, let go, and expect them to be able to ride. You'd never do that. 
They need to be able to walk first. And once they can walk, you can get them onto that little blue guy without any pedals, and off they go. After that, they can get onto the next bike, and they can figure out how to turn their feet over to get the bike to move. And after that, you get rid of those training wheels, and you learn how to balance. And once you can actually ride a bike, it's the other things that you start to learn. You want to start to go fast. You want to ramp up on things. Maybe you want to ride off-road. You want to pop wheelies, whatever it happens to be. But there's, there's stages that you go through. And our spiritual walk is much the same. God wants to give us everything, but there are things that we have to learn at each stage of our life that qualify us to, in my example, ride a bigger bike. When my son learns to ride a bike, he needs to learn by doing. If I jump in and say, here you go, Rory, watch me, and I ride the bike for him, I'm going to shortcut his learning process, and he's not going to learn very much at all. And I think... Um, if, if we look at it, God is a little bit like that as well. He loves to be part of the process of, of helping us learn, and he loves to let us go and, and do the, the learning by ourselves. And he's going to be there in the beginning, and he's going to love the process. And he, he's going to be there to help you move your feet and turn the pedals over in the beginning. And he'll be there and hold the handlebars to keep you to go straight. But gradually, he's going to let go. He's going to let you go all by yourself and, and start applying the things that he's been teaching you. And yes, you are going to crash at some stage. You are going to wobble. But that's all part of the learning process. When you develop talents, it takes time to learn what you, what you do. And it takes time to perfect learning that new thing. If, if I think of, um, I don't know, stuff that I'm interested in, like, for example, painting or drawing, there will be a lot of people who say to you, hey, you're really good at drawing. I wish I could do that. Like, it's not something that I thought, hey, let me try painting, and tomorrow I'm really good at it. It takes a lot of time to, to practice what you do, to make the right brush strokes or pencil marks or whatever it is, and you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice and you copy and you copy and you copy someone that's teaching you and eventually you learn what to do by yourself. And after that, your own expression can come through it. But it takes time to do those things. And eventually, once you've kind of got the technique and you've got everything and you know what to do, your own, then a man goes on a journey and entrusts me. We see in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, that a man goes on a journey and entrusts money to his servants. And while he's away, he, he gives that money to them and, and he expects them to, to manage his money well. And he gives to them each according to their own ability. Each of the three guys um, gets a chance to use the money wisely. But what I want to focus on is, again, that time aspect. If the guy had gone away and come back the very next day, he hasn't given his servants an opportunity to do anything really meaningful with that money. It's going to take time for them to do something. Verse 19 says exactly that. It says, he went away for a long time. And this extended period of time tests us in whatever it is that the Lord is trying to teach us. It tests us in whatever we're facing. It tests us and teaches us to lean on the Lord. I think we need to accept that our lives are made up of many learning experiences. It's not all just play chance. Some of the experiences are harder than others and some of them are easier. But wherever they are, they give us a chance to grow. God doesn't cause your stress or your hurts, or your sadness, or your pain, but he can use it for good. So my son won't have it all his way when he's learning to ride his bike. He's going to crash. He's going to hit obstacles. And it's not me who's going, yeah, here's an obstacle for you. Bang. I'm not causing him to crash. I'm letting him go. And I have to let him go if he's going to know the joy of riding a bike. And God's the same. He's got to let you be tested so that you can learn all about him and learn to rely on him. And if you can do that, I think that 
he's going to grow you through whatever trials you're busy facing at the moment, and he's going to be your God of the breakthrough. So these, trial, the, these times of trial are opportunities, I think, for us um, to learn how to confidently rely on the Lord. And that kind of begs the question, what are each of you busy going through right now? Because we all go through stuff. So what, what's challenging you at the moment? Think, think about your personal lives. Think, think about your walk with the Lord. What's really challenging you right now? And I want you to think, what if, you are going, what if what you are going through right now is actually a learning experience? And it's a chance for God to teach you something. What if there's a spiritual blessing for you in the heavenly realms, to come back to the original verse? What if there's a spiritual blessing just waiting for you? It's just waiting to be claimed. Ask yourself, what would you have to do to claim that blessing? To come back to the bike example where you have to go through your stages and you've got to learn to balance and whatever. What would you have to do to get a bigger bike in the spiritual realm? For my son, in terms of riding the bike, he has to grow physically, he has to learn how to balance better, and he has to get confident on dirt roads, and then maybe he can get a, a bigger, nicer bike. For him to grow would just take time, but all the other stuff is going to take practice. So again, we come back to the time thing. So what are you facing? What if the thing you're facing is the very thing that precedes your, your blessing? It's the thing that is just the other side of your breakthrough. What if it's the thing that you have to get through just before you get your spiritual blessing? Graham Cook says this, he says, the fruit of the Spirit grows mostly in bad soil. And I believe that's true. If you look at it this way, let's say the Lord is teaching you perseverance. It's not going to be a quick lesson. You're not going to learn perseverance in five minutes. That isn't perseverance at all. Okay? If he's teaching you authority and you command something to happen in Jesus' name and boom, just like that, it's done. Someone gets healed or something happens. Like, that's amazing if he's teaching you authority. But if he's teaching you endurance, it's a different story altogether. You better be, like, prepared to, to keep praying into that thing for the next couple of weeks, maybe even months. If we read the Bible, maybe even years. There's many stories of, of guys who stuck it out for years. If God is teaching you faithfulness, in other words, long-continued and steadfast commitment to your duty or obligation, your situation, I'm sorry, is just not going to be easy. You don't learn faithfulness when everything's nice and cushy. So you'll have to learn to lean on the Lord for your strength. So this may mean learning how to be still and rest in the Lord or how to rejoice and worship Him even though you actually just don't feel like it. Sometimes it's difficult. As you do, you'll learn to, to stand. You'll learn to stand in the Lord when, when the enemy attacks you. So I've got two verses that speak to this. Ephesians 6 verse 13 says, Therefore take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. And James 1 verse 12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Those are awesome promises. So I believe that this kind of a, a mind shift and, and this new way of perceiving our circumstances is, is crucial to having, the, yeah, to, the, this mind shift is, is, is a crucial way to, to start perceiving our, our circumstances differently in order that we can actually get hold of those blessings and, and get hold of our breakthroughs. Um, it's the kind of mindset that says, there's a breakthrough here, I wonder what God's doing, I wonder what I will have to do to access it, rather than moaning and complaining and saying how difficult what we're going through is. So an example from, from my life, I was, I was tested a bit at, at work. 
there's, there's a guy that I work with that's, that's pretty difficult and challenging. He's got a, a really short fuse. He, he's right in everything. And the one time he, he wasn't right, and he, he did some work that wasn't amazing. And I, I took him on about it, and I said, listen, actually, it needs to be this way. And he didn't react well at all. Uh, he got very cross. He left our subject chat group. I'm, I'm a teacher. I teach biology. So he left, our, um, he left our little chat group. And every time I spoke to him, he would just ignore me. He didn't say anything back. He would turn and walk away. Like sometimes I would get to school. I would stand like here, like I'm close to Avi, And I would say good morning. And he would just look at me and walk away. Now for me, I would usually just pop. I, I would usually react in anger. I would get very frustrated. In fact, I would probably just bust out the biggest amount of sarcasm that I could ever think of. But I didn't. I went out of my way to show this guy a lot of patience and a lot of kindness. And um, didn't matter. Like, if, if he ignored me, I would just say, good morning, how's it going? <laughs> On the next day, good morning, how's it going? But it, it was a couple of days, and, and he came to me, and he said, listen, actually, I, I'm, I'm sorry for, for what I did and how I reacted. Now, now, for this guy, Justin knows him, and Jono knows him. For this guy to come and say that was just, like, ridiculous. Um, and I was kind of, my, my mind was blown a bit, but I think if I had vented like I usually would have, the situation would never have got to that stage. And, and I had to, in the beginning, sort of ask, Lord, what are you doing here? What, what's going on? What do I need to do? What are you teaching me? And, and really think about my little scenario there quite differently uh, in order to have that situation resolved. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. I want to ask you to think like what it is, again, that you are facing. So maybe you've got a challenge in your job or financially you're struggling. Maybe you're battling through a health issue or you just aren't comfortable with the change that you're experiencing at the moment. Perhaps your marriage is in trouble. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's tough at work and your, your boss doesn't like you very much and he overworks you and you feel overlooked, whatever it may be. How could you choose to see all those things differently? What might God be teaching you in, in that little moment? What, what's he saying to you about his nature? What, what is he saying to you to say, this is who I am for you in this situation? Um, and I want you to try and think creatively about, about those situations. Okay, so my problem at work, or maybe some of the examples that I've given don't really connect with you and, and you don't quite get it. Um, so there's going to be one more story, and it's, it's also a real-life story. I, I was actually going to read a chapter out of a book, but... Um, Luckily, Dave shared a testimony at the prayer meeting, and, and Dave's going to come share an awesome story about how he had a challenging scenario in his life, and he chose to view it differently. Four weeks ago, I was sweating blood. We were in a real big financial uh, issue, and uh, two of my, I've got three vehicles. One belongs to my son, and the other two belong to me, and the two that belong to me conked out. Both of them just didn't want to work. And uh, so my son's vehicle was the only one that was... Uh, so I dropped him off at the airport. He, he was on his way to America. And uh, I still had to find the money to, find, to pay for the airfare to go to America. And, uh, and so I was sweating blood. Now, I dropped him off on the Tuesday. And the Wednesday I was driving. I was driving in Kanubi. And... Uh, 
I was about to turn into a side street and a guy back-ended me. There was that bucky down too. No work, no vehicle, and I, I, I got home. The, the towing company actually towed my vehicle home free of charge. I said to the guy, I said, I don't have money to pay you. I didn't, I didn't have two cents to rub to my name. And he towed the vehicle back to my workshop, and he parked it there, and he said, no charge. And that was the first answer to pray. And then, uh, you know, I was already down and out. I got no work. I sat in my office moping for two days. And then I, you know, I was just sitting and saying, Lord, you know, what's going on? What are you, what are you trying to show me here? And uh, the next day, the guy who shares the workshop with me is a, is a diesel mechanic. And he said to me, bring me your vehicle. And he fixed my one vehicle. And, and he said to me, there you go, fixed. No, no charge. And, and God just started undertaking. And then, uh, to cut it short, um, my wife has been dealing with the insurance company uh, uh, from the municipality because it was a municipality vehicle that hit my vehicle. And uh, uh, on Monday, she phoned the lady who she was dealing with, and this lady just burst out into tears. And, said, and so Shemaine said to her, you know, what's going on? Why are you crying? And she said, well, I've just heard that we've lost the, um, the contract with the municipality. I'm going to be without a job by the end of the month. I'm 56 years old. I'm, I'm a widow. Um, I'm looking after myself. I'm looking after two children, putting my child through university. Where am I going to find a job at this age? And woe is me, you know, my life is undone. And my wife said to her, well, can I pray for you? And in, uh, she was shocked, first of all, and then she said, yes, please pray for me. And my wife prayed for her, for God's peace and for God's um, undertaking in her life. And when she was finished, uh, this lady said to my wife, you know, you're the first person in my entire life who's ever prayed for me. And uh, she said, I want to know the Jesus that you serve. And she led it to the Lord that day. So the accident that took place four weeks ago led to the salvation of a lady and a hope of her future. So if things are going wrong, the only thing you can do is praise God because he's got something he knows you don't. I didn't know four weeks ago about this lady's salvation. That's God. That's only God. One more funny thing. Sorry, I've got to throw this one in. This evening, this evening we were praying and and the scripture was quoted um, in, in, in Acts chapter 2. And it says, um, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the young men will see visions and the old men will dream dreams. And I just had this picture of the Lord going to this to me. Hey, you're seeing visions. You're still a young man. <laughs> and, then, and then to top it all, we, uh, we were asked to get on our knees. And I'm going, my knees are going, uh -uh, you're not a young man anymore. <laughs> I love that story. It was very cool. It was very cool for me to hear it and, and sort of in the context of, of what I was speaking about as well. And I just think each time we make ourselves available like that to, to learn what God is teaching us, He can work in our lives and He can make something happen. And, and when we make ourselves available, he, He's there and He can, um, the Holy Spirit can work in our lives and we can become more and more like Him. So I think it's important. Think about what you're going through and ask 
like David, ask, Lord, what, what are you doing here? What's going on in this situation? What can you be for me? What can I learn from you? Because if we react the same way that anyone in the, in the world would react, then we just, we just got to lose out in some kind of a blessing. So make yourself available for, for God, and, and He can use that. And God, God never asked you to be able when He called you. He just asked you to be willing. So when we are available, then the Holy Spirit can work. And again, I just want to share two verses. The first is 2 Corinthians 3.18, and it says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 says, So we are no longer to be children, tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ, who is the head. And those two verses just give so, so much hope that if we're, we make ourselves available, it's the Lord who's going to arrive in our circumstances and we'll learn and we'll grow up in all things. Towards the end of last year, Steve Montgomery, he's, he's, an, he's an elder at the church as well, if anyone doesn't know him. He, he gave a sermon on practicing spiritual discipline, and in it, he spoke about growing in maturity as we discipline ourselves to cut out distractions, honor our quiet times, and, and just spend more time in the Word. And he, he made this cool graph. His, his didn't look nearly as cool. Lalani tweaked it for me, so that's why it looks so pretty. Um, but have a look at it, uh, just to remind you, before we come to the Lord, we have no maturity in Christ whatsoever. But when we give our lives to God, that massive gap from not in Christ to immature in Christ is jumped by God's grace. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves being spiritual infants, kind of at the, the bottom left-hand side of that, that graph where it says they're immature in Christ. And it's, it's from there that we begin uh, our journey, we, we, we get to grow and, and what have you. So sometimes we have areas where we, we grow in our life and those are the upswings. And then sometimes, unfortunately, we do do bad things and we, we backslide and we come back down. But the more and more mature that we get, the less and less pronounced those upswings and downswings are. Or hopefully the upswings are massive, but the downswings aren't so massive. Um, and, and by doing that, we, we grow in maturity. And I wanted to use this graph tonight because I want you to... Um, just sort of trying to apply that kind of thinking to, to what I'm speaking about tonight. So if the Lord is teaching you perseverance and he's got some situation for your life that's going to take roughly, let's say, two or three weeks to, to get through, for you to persevere through, and you pray for it for two days, where does that put you on that graph? What happens if you stick it out? What happens if you stick it out for, for those two or three weeks? How would your position on the graph look different? obviously more mature. Okay, so think of it that way. When, when we experience these things, we, we've got to be looking for what the Lord is doing so that we can grow in maturity. Because if, if you do go through those three weeks and you pray and you grow in maturity, what's likely going to happen is several months later or several years later perhaps, maybe the Lord's going to be teaching you all about perseverance. You'll see it early and those downswings can be less pronounced than before. So as this process unfolds over time, and it happens again and again and again, so we grow in maturity in the Lord, and we can start like accessing our breakthroughs. So for the rest of the time, I just want to speak about some practical ways that we can change our minds and receive our breakthroughs and, and grow in maturity. And, and the first one is to just acknowledge that there is a time for everything. There will be times of rest and green pastures, and there will be times where we walk through valleys. They're going to be good times and bad times. And Ecclesiastes 3 verses 2 to 8, 
give some examples of those times. I'm not going to read all of them. They'll be on the board. You can, you can read. But there are seasons for everything. I think sometimes we think, okay, well, I'm a Christian now, so my whole life must just be like sunshine and roses. It's, it's not like that. There are going to be seasons for everything, and, and how we react to those seasons is really important to how we get to grow in maturity and whether or not we get to receive any, receive any kind of spiritual blessings. So we've got to start to look in those times that challenge us. What is the Lord? How you're to us? What is He doing? Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. I like that quote. Because at some point or another, you've, you've got to say, like, wherever I start with a problem is going to determine my outcome. If I've got a really negative mindset at the start of perceiving a problem, I'm going to end in a terrible place. But if I've got a really positive outlook at the beginning of a problem, I'm going to end in a much better place. So there's a really cool verse I want to share with you. It's from 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Now that's an amazing place to start. What if every problem that you perceive, every problem that came across your path, you had that kind of a mindset where you were like, okay, God, what are you doing? Because you're about to lead me in triumph. I'm about to have knowledge of you in this place right now. And whatever you're going to give me is just going to leave the sweet aroma and people are going to know that you are here. Wouldn't that be an amazing place to start? Second thing I want you to think about doing is to crack the test. Okay, so I'm a teacher, and kids are often asking, sir, what's in the test? What's the exam? And um, I, I don't like to just give it away and tell them, but if we look at the Bible, there are many examples of where God tests us, and he usually does three things when he tests. Number one, he gives instructions. He gives instructions. So he's going to make things really, really, really clear about what he wants you to do, Okay. He's going to tell you, and, and there's many stories where, where you see that in the Bible. Um, and it's up to us to see whether or not we'll obey them. So if you get to uh, any test or exam at school, at university, in a course you're busy studying, and the questions give you a, a set of instructions, if you don't follow those instructions, if you don't answer the question as the instructions tell you, it doesn't matter how hard you learn, it doesn't matter how hard you try, you're going to get some stuff wrong. And it's the same with God. When He gives instructions... They're there to follow. Otherwise, you might end up failing a test. So the second thing is obvious. God is testing our obedience. He gives the instructions. Will we listen and will we obey the instructions? If we do, bonus. We're on the right path. But if we don't, maybe there's trouble ahead. There's a verse from Jeremiah. It's in chapter 29 and it's verse 11. I think many of you know it. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, that's an awesome verse. That's a really awesome verse. If God is saying, I know the plans that I have for you. They're really good plans. They're to prosper you. They're to give you a future. The issue is, are we believing God when he says that? Are we saying, that's awesome, God. You've got some plans, but my plans are better. So if we believe in God, then obviously we're trusting God. And it, that's exactly what it is. It comes down to trust. Do we trust that God's plans are better than our plans? Do we obey the instructions? The third thing is attitude. Okay, even if you follow the instructions, your attitude as you're following what he puts out for you is really, really important. And, and I think like really crucial because if your attitude is terrible, 
in, in doing what you've been told to do, then you're not really learning a lesson at all. If you've got a terrible attitude, like it can really lengthen the period of your testing quite significantly. Because if, if your attitude stinks, you, you're not really learning anything. Okay, so I want to do an example from Scripture here. Uh, it's, it's quite a long piece. So I'm going to give you a, a bit of an intro to try and cut it down a bit. Imagine this. Well, don't imagine this. It happened. But put yourself in the situation. Okay, the Israelites have just made it past the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his army have been destroyed. And now Moses and his, and his Israelites, this whole new nation, face an open desert. Problem. What are we going to drink? Okay, so the Israelites are full of complaining. They're just moaning at Moses. They're going ballistic. Yeah, you took us out of Egypt. At least there we had homes and food. We'd rather go back there. We don't mind being slaves. At least we, we sort it out and we, we're taken care of in a sense. And Moses goes to God as he does. And in Exodus chapter 7, God gives him a solution to the problem. He says, go to the rock at Horeb, strike it with your staff. Water will come out. Everyone will have stuff to drink. Problem solved. But much later on, much later on, long time, the Israelites are still wandering around the desert. Um, but by this stage, many things have happened. They fought some wars and what have you. The Lord has given the Ten Commandments. Uh, he's told them how to build a tabernacle, and, and, and they've done that. Um, but the Israelites are still stuck in their little complaining vibe. So they are busy complaining about the fact, again, that then gives some instructions to Moses. And this is uh, God, uh, Moses goes to God, and God then gives some instructions to Moses. And this is what he said. Uh, and this all should be on the board. Yeah. So he says, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Okay, so in terms of following the instructions, so far so good. Unfortunately, though, at this stage, Moses lets rip with his own plan. This is what happens. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank and had their fill. But that wasn't what God told him to do. God said, speak to the rock, and Moses just clapped it twice. And I think God, in his mercy, still provided water for the people that needed water. But, but for Moses, it's a really, really defining moment. And we read what happens next. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. Now, how hectic is that? Didn't follow the instructions, didn't get to see the promised land. Okay. Think about it, though. Why were they in the desert for that long in, the, uh, in any case? I don't know if you've ever done this, but I, I, I looked this up while I was preparing for this. The Israelites left the, uh, Egypt, and they went to the Promised Land. I mean, ultimately, they went there. The distance from Egypt to the Promised Land is about 360 kilometers. So that's roughly from here to PE-ish. That's not that far. And if you know your Bible, you know that they were wandering around the desert for 40 years. Why did it take them 40 years to cover 360 kilometers? If, if you just do some simple math, you know that they had to do nine kilometers a year. That's not difficult. You could do five kilometers a day, and you would get there in 72 days. And yet, they wandered around the desert for 40 years. Now, why do you think that was? 
So I think it was because their attitude was too. Um, and what happened was they, the Israelites actually arrived on the border of the promised land and they wanted to go check out and see what was going on there. So, so the Lord says to Moses, send in um, 12 spies to go check it out and see what it's like in there, which he does. And the 12 go out and they come back and only two of them want to lay hold of that promised land. They want to go and they're like keen. They're like, that place is amazing. It's flowing with milk and honey. But the other 10 are absolutely consumed with fear. And they, they tell the whole Israelite camp about how terrible the place is. And there's giants there. And why, again, like, why can't we go back to Egypt? These oaks are going to destroy us. And God doesn't really like their complaining so much. And he says to them in, in Numbers 14, 23, they will never see the land I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. God waited for many generations before those unbelieving people had passed away and none of them got their breakthrough. None of them got to see the promised land because their attitude stank. They didn't trust the Lord. JP said, number three, do what you've got to do. JP said a lot about this this morning, so I'll, I'll try to be quick. But the Lord is constantly speaking his promises over us. He may be telling you what a gifted writer you are or you're an amazing artist he may be telling you how you're going to use your public speaking ability to impact the lives of many people. Sometimes we hear from the Lord personally, but often he's, he's using other believers in our congregation to come and share words with us and say, hey, this is what the Lord is saying about you. He's speaking this over you. What do we do with those words, though? What do you do with a word if someone comes to you and says, this is what the Lord is saying. This is how the Lord sees you in heaven. It's sometimes difficult to know exactly what that means or exactly what our giftings are. But imagine I told you that you have the ability to run a marathon in two hours. For those of you who don't know, a marathon is 42 kilometers. And the current world record, I think, is two hours and four minutes or so. So what happens if I said, Clint, you have the ability to run a marathon <laughs> in two hours. Genetically, you can do it. Genetically, your body is built to run. You can do it. Does Clint just go, all right, well, that's amazing. Thanks, Mark. Let's just pitch up at a marathon tomorrow and I'm going to smash what would be a world record. Not possible. Okay, he's obviously he's going to have to do some training. He's going to have to get on the road. He's going to spend hours on the road running and pulling out that ability, getting fitter. He might want a personal trainer. He might want to get into the gym. Maybe he needs some fancier running shoes. Probably he has to join a running club. But he has to think, okay, well, I've got this word about being a marathon runner. What is it that I have to do to make that become a reality? And in the natural, that makes sense to you about being a, nat, uh, a marathon runner. But if you are the gifted public speaker and I say to you, Al, you've got a gift for public speaking, and you go, oh, that's amazing. Do you expect to stand up at the next meeting and rock it? Not necessarily. So what, what are the words that you have? You've got a part to play in, in honoring the word that you've been given. Um, figure out what you've got to do. If you're uncertain, ask. Ask believers around you, but I also think that you can ask the Lord. Um, you've read the verse already, I'm sure, but James 1 verse 5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives, all, uh, gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So do that. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Say, Lord, I've got this amazing word. What have I got to do to make this a reality in my life? How am I going to get a breakthrough in this area? Number four. Find someone to walk with. Our Christian walk takes time. I mentioned that earlier. 
It's a journey that we take one step at a time, and it's important to find someone to go on that journey with. Because, let's be honest, at one point or another, we each battle with, with stuff. Sometimes I'm going to be down, but you'll be up and you can lift me. And you'll be down and I'll be up and I'll lift you. Alone you're in trouble, but together we can go further. Um, why, why would we want to do that? Well, I think we, we're there to encourage each other. Okay? Um, but you can also hold each other accountable, which I think is important. Accountable on two fronts. Number one, if I know what the Lord is calling you to, and you're just sitting back, I can hold you to that. I can also see maybe sometimes we're down and we're sad and we're not really in it, and we can't really see what the Lord is calling me to. Hey, there's an upgrade here in this situation. The Lord is saying to you, just be more patient here, because sometimes we don't see what's going on in our own lives because we're not in a great space. So we can hold each other accountable. But also, it's equally important to keep our hearts clean and free of sin. So we need to confess our sins as soon as we slip up, and our trusted person can keep us accountable on that too. Those two verses are important. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us not neglect neglect ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect, neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And James 5 verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So we get to encourage each other and and in confessing our sins to each other and keeping our hearts clean, it heals us because we need that. We need to keep our hearts clean so we we can walk a good walk. Lastly, I want to say, find God. Find him however you can find him. There are times when the challenges we face seem overwhelming and we can't cope. There will be times when you are just outright attacked by the devil. Sometimes he's just going to come and he's just going to attack your thought life and he's going to tell you how worthless you are. He's going to be spitting his lies in your ears and sometimes you just get down. When we feel hopeless like this, we need a place to go. We, we need to be able to rely on the Lord and that's why I say you need a way to find God. I've, I've got two main ways that that I would like to share with you. And the first one is, is worship. When you feel overwhelmed, just put, us, put on some worship music and go for it. And will yourself to worship the Lord. David did this in, in Psalm 103. He says, oh my soul, worship the Lord. He didn't just feel like it. He, he commands his soul because our soul often is, is a difficult thing to live with. It doesn't feel like worshiping. But David commands his soul, praise the Lord. And he, and he gets into that space. And, and I would suggest doing that. Get into that space where you just command you, you, yourself to worship the Lord until something lifts in the spirit. And you, you just feel that something's been broken. And the second is find God in the secret place. That's been something that's been quite challenging for me to wrap my head around. I've heard people speak about the secret place before. And I'm like, okay, that sounds really cool. But exactly what is that? So... The secret place is just, I don't know, a good way to think of it is like in, in the Old Testament you, you had where the, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, where the, where the presence of the Lord was, could go there. I, I think since Jesus has died on the cross and the veil has been torn, we have access to that place because he's paid for all our sins. We can, we can go into that kind of a secret place. Um, just as normal believers now. And it's, it's that kind of space that I want you to, to think about. 
And it's important that you figure out how to get there because the devil won't follow you there. Because if he goes and he knocks on that door, it's not going to be you who answers. And then he's going to be in trouble. So you need to find that place where when you're down and you're out and you're really, really just struggling, that you've got a secret place to go to so that you you can just hide away when you need to. For me, I love reading the Psalms when I'm in this kind of a space. And the Psalms, for me, carry me into that space really, really easily. Some of my personal favorites, I've put, put on the screen there, Psalm 18, 23, 41, 46, 63, and 91. But it doesn't have to come from the Psalms. The Psalms are just great because I think they, they speak about the emotions that we go through as Christians so often where we're just feeling tired or people are bugging us or we feel under attack, whatever it may be. So it's really cool to just go and read those promises. And I love declaring those promises over my situation. Um, I love... I love telling the devil, sorry, bud, but you actually just can't touch me right now because God is a fortress for me. Or you can't even see me, you can't get to me because God's covering me with his wings. And if you put on a bit of worship and you found yourself in the secret place, then you get a bit of a break. You get a bit of a break from being attacked and oppressed and you get to come back. They aren't easy to do when you're feeling down and tired and sad and depressed, but I found that they do work. And I hope they work for you as well. I think God is waiting for us to make him the God of our breakthrough. And when we call, he's going to be there. James 1 verse 2 to 4 kind of just sum up that whole idea. And it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is left, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So that kind of just sums up everything. Have a mindset. Instead of being like, oh, it's so difficult for me at work right now. Oh, I can't believe this is happening. Consider it pure joy. Have a, have a change of mind and, and look for God and have your endurance tested and grow in maturity and find what the Lord is doing in your life and get your breakthrough and get your upgrade. So your blessings are waiting for you. They're just on the other side of what you're currently going through. The Lord is ready to be your God of the breakthrough. He's right there and he's ready. Are you ready to change the way that you think and acknowledge that sometimes things aren't going to be all sunshine and roses? Are you listening to his instructions and are you obeying them, doing things with an awesome attitude? Will you find a friend to walk with?